Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. We got a lot to do because we're going to close this series today, The Elephant in the Room, which has really kind of been a series on the spiritual life, which it turns out... You, there may have, there may have, may have been an elephant in your life, because we talked about. Many of us became Christians, but nobody really ever helped us really understand what it meant to be shaped and formed spiritually. And so we've, uh, you know, that's been misunderstood, and of, of course, it makes for a frustrating spiritual life. Uh, hopefully, if you've picked up on some of these truths, they'll help you with the other elephants that are in your life. That was kind of the goal. And we're going to wrap up the series today by doing two things. We're going to come to the Lord's table. So you receive this on the way in. Just hold on to it. We'll, we'll guide you through that process. Uh, we invite you, if you're not uh, part of Hillside, if you're a guest, feel free to join us. We would love to have you. We'll explain what's going on before you do it so you know what's, uh, what it means. Uh, but we're going to do something else. We're going to look at, I'm going to walk you through 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10 here in a minute. Um, it was, I'm reading through 2 Corinthians right now, and um, when I got to chapter 5, it became just a beautiful summary of everything we've been saying. So let me summarize what I've been saying before we do that. So spirituality is about allowing God to have his way in our lives, our actual lives. We've said that where the inside matches the outside, the invisible becomes visible. What God wants materializes in my life, literally in my my body. Listen to what one writer said. It's a great line. Spirituality is not a hidden stream of separate reality running parallel to our bodily existence. Well, you have a kind of a spiritual life and then a separate physical life, and they don't mix. That's not the life Jesus came to give us. So my body is included in the salvation and redemption that Christ provides. And he transforms my body as well. Remember we said he owns it. He bought it. So the body was included in that transaction. So that I really have no spiritual life if it's not integrated into my physical life. There's no such thing. To disconnect those two realities we've talked about a lot. It's very dangerous. Um, Consider this. Lots of people claim to know Jesus, but their life doesn't show it. They don't live like it. It's like there are some people you'd like to just walk up and say, and after lots of my life as a pastor, you just want to say, you know, you say you're a Christian. You ought to tell your body that.
your face, maybe. Your hands, your feet, where are they going? Your tongue, what's it saying? Your eyes, what's it looking at? Your genitals, they're his too. And in our day and age, they've been completely separated from God. If you claim to know him, his body's yours. It's his, not yours, his. Now, that may be one particular dangerous thing that happens if you disconnect your internal life from your physical life. But another one is that you fail to see your body as something that needs to be trained in order to be able to come through for you when you need it to, for God. And if you don't know that the body is an important part of living out the spiritual life, you don't ever train it. You don't ever gear it, develop practices that actually allow you to be obedient. So I need my body to be an ally, which means I got to have, like when you think about your spiritual life, what are you doing to keep your body in check? Otherwise, you just end up being the same person who claimed to know Christ many years ago. I'm still as angry. I'm still as vengeful. I still have nasty talk. I still have, I'm still driven by desires that are just not even close to what God wants me to be. That's partially because my body has taken a life of its own and it runs the show. Because Because I'm so afraid of not giving it something it wants. That's what we're talking about here. My son Anthony was the first one to take guitar lessons in our house. And he actually learned a few chords and could play for a minute. And when he he was little, quickly got some other interests and so set, set it aside practicing. But he kept it in a case, and he liked to pull it out every now and then. We would have people over to play, because I told you we like to have people around play guitars, and he'd pull it out. But he couldn't really do much with it, because he gave up practicing with it. But it was kind of cool to have a guitar in a case. I mean, that's a cool thing, carry around a guitar. You see a guy carrying around a guitar, you go, ooh, I bet that guy can play. He's cool. Anthony couldn't do anything really with it. And you know, you can have a kind of spiritual life like that. You carry it around. It, by all, by all standards, it looks like you have one, there's, but you can't do anything with it. Some of us have a spiritual life like that, and our body is the guitar. We have all these spiritual thoughts never make their way out into our life. And so we're carrying around a spiritual life we can't use. So there are just certain practices that ready the body for action so that your first reactions aren't the evil ones anymore. Um, they keep the body in check 
And if you fail to foster these bodily behaviors of faith, then you're never really transformed. You just remain the same person with some inkling of a spiritual life on the inside. Remember, experiences don't change you. Experiences don't transform people. Action transforms people. You can have spiritual thoughts all day long. If you never carry your behind to a place where you can get alone with God and connect with him personally and spiritually, you're going to have a really hard time asking your body to do the harder things. That's not a hard thing. And if you don't do it and have maybe some other things you require your body to do spiritually, it's just going to be really hard to be obedient when it really hurts, when you have to give something up, when you got to let something go. And so, anyway, that's what we've been saying. That was just a summary. That's all that was. Now we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to bring all of this together for you. And I'm so excited about this text. Uh, I fell in love with it, haven't been able to really get past it much, uh, and been meditating on it for the last three weeks. And you really need to. It's sort of spiritually, I would say, theologically thick text. It's taken me a long time to, 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 to simplify it in a way that we can have a conversation about it. Um, but it's really a summary of the of the physical body and its role in the spiritual life. And so I'm, I'm excited to share this with you. Um, so let's look at our text. Let's see. This is what it says. Here's how he starts off this second Corinthians 5. Now, you know, we're pulling this out of an important context. Paul is trying to defend himself to the Corinthians who, who have had some people come in and doubt Paul's authority, authenticity. Paul's trying to say, man, didn't you, didn't you see what we did among you? We served, we suffered. Would I be suffering if I wasn't authentic? Would I, would I be suffering if I wasn't? So I, w- I was happy to take on suffering. And then he gets to this conversation about the body. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home speaking of the physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he is about to describe two kinds of bodies. The one you have now physically is a tent. The, the next one will be a, an actual building. The difference between the tent and the building are a couple of things. One's temporal, one's eternal. One's fragile, One's solid. This one's going to go away. This one's going to last forever. So that's the dynamic he's saying. One of them's going to be destroyed. The other one that's not made with hands is eternal, and it's, that's what we're going to have when we get to heaven. So the first thing I just want to tell you, just real quickly here to connect to, is Paul doesn't ever envision you without a body. You have one now, it's just temporal. But you're going to get another one. And we're going to to talk about that transition. Now, what is 
the important thing. First, Paul does not imagine a bodiless spirituality on earth or in heaven. He does not contemplate a time when you don't have a body to spiritually act out what God has done for you. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the point I want to make. Now, you're going to have to stay with me. You're going to have to think, and I'll make sure that at the end of this, you go, uh, even though you might get lost in the weeds for a minute. Stay with me. Are you ready to have some fun with the Bible? I want you to have some fun with the Bible. This has been one of the most amazing. I just have loved being in this text. So I'm going to do my best to. So we have two realities. One's temporal, one's eternal. We've been talking about that. One's invisible, one's visible. What spirituality is, is making the invisible visible, materialize in my life, not just some imaginary, invisible spiritual life that never becomes physical. And Paul's sort of describing these two realities, but using the body to do it. So there's, you're, you're going to have two bodies eventually. And they're different, but they're not unrelated. That's, get that first. They're different. One's going to last forever and one isn't, but they're related. That's important. So what it means to be spiritual, the invisible, eternal, makes its way into this earthly reality. And that's just a reminder when you hear that that's a tent When you think about your body, think, you know what? You're just a tent. You're not the ultimate thing. You don't call all the shots. You don't get all you want. I don't have to live for you. I don't ultimately obey you. You're temporal. Remember, everything is spiritual. And if you put your hope in anything else, your body, its health, its looks, what it wants, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be destroyed. That's just a side point. Don't make the body the point. It's not going to last. Okay? So, there is, however, even though they're different, these two bodies, a continuity between them, these two bodily existences. The earthly body will be transformed. Even though it's decaying, you will get a new one, and it will be transformed into a heavenly one, which means... Death is not just deliverance from a body because you're going to get a new one. There was a lot of thought in Paul's day, and to some degree, it probably exists here, but not in the same way it did in Hellenistic Greek um, or even Gnostic thinking, which was that the body itself was evil, and the only way to really be spiritual was to rid yourself of the body. And so everyone longed for that sort of that death, because then you'd be rid of the body, and then you could be free to be spiritual. And to some degree, we know that our body is one of our biggest problems in being spiritual. And so there's the mindset that if I can just get rid of this body, I'll be spiritual. Paul's going to kill that thought. No, no, no. You're not getting rid of that body. It's going to be transformed into a new body. So they're different but they're not unrelated. What happens in the one is important for what happens in the next one. 
This is Paul trying to say the body has a significant central role in the spiritual life that you live today and forever. We'll see why that's important. So watch what he does here. So we've got this building, a tent and building metaphor, and then he does this. For in this tent, this physical body, which is temporary, we groan. We look forward to a day when we will have a body suited for eternity, eternal, and all the frustrations of temporary mortal sort of life will be gone. We all groan for that. If you're a Christian, you groan for that. To, to put on, now he's going to change the language. It's not a building anymore. It's something you put on. Like clothing, he'll say. Our heavenly dwelling, you're going to put that on. This is kind of interesting. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. This has... I have been consumed with trying to understand this commentator struggle. There's a couple of different ways you can go with what Paul is doing here. I want to try to simplify it for you. So your temporal body is going to give way to a new body, and he shifts the metaphors from building to clothing for a reason. Whenever Paul talks about the put-on language, he's talking about morality. Ethics, change, transformation. Put on the new man. Put on purity. Put on gentleness. When he's talking about you changing your life and transforming, it's the language of new clothes. Get that thing off and put this thing on. Let it be the covering for you. So now Paul is thinking about one day he's going to get this heavenly body, and the last thing he wants is to die, get to heaven, and somehow not have a body, which he describes because of the metaphor of putting on clothes as being naked. I would be naked. Now, this is incredibly important. Um, to not have a body, Paul says, would be to be naked. In fact, he says this way. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, he repeats that, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, this is the language, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, the physical body, will be swallowed up by life. The physical will literally be swallowed up by life. Now, what is this naked clothing, unclothing thing? So the metaphor adds this dimension of morality to it. And here's what Paul's saying. This is the best way I can picture it for you. Um, you die. You lose this physical body. You get to heaven. And if you don't get a new body, then it would be like being naked, and you, um, which is an uncomfortable thing. In, in certain, like there's certain places, and heaven is one of them, you don't want to be found naked. You know what I'm talking about? That's the last thing you want, because this is what we do. Right? Because there's something about being naked, and Paul's capturing that idea to say, if you don't get a new body, it would be like being naked. And see why. Because not to get a body 
would mean that I was left out of full redemption. It would mean that whatever I was here wasn't real because I've been promised a new body, and if I don't get a new body, it must mean something was not right about my spiritual life, and I'm going to be exposed if I don't get a new body. That's the idea of nakedness throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve, naked, immediately know they're sinful. So it's the sense that I show up thinking I'm going to get a body. I don't get the body. It's because I don't have the spiritual life I thought I had, and I don't get full redemption. It will be an embarrassing kind of moment. I will be exposed. Unworthy is the idea of nakedness. Vulnerable, ashamed, embarrassed, sinful, spiritually lacking because I've been promised a body. It was part of the redemptive package when Jesus said, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you from the inside out, the body as well. See the implications of that for how you live. So you want a new body. You don't want to get rid of a body and say, thank God I can be spiritual now. Paul's essentially saying, if you don't get another body when you go, there's a real disconnect in your spiritual life if you haven't connected it to a body, either here or there. Why? Because if, because the body I have now, even though it's temporal and it's a tent and it's decaying, I'm being transformed from the inside out. I'm being changed. And if this isn't being changed now, it won't be changed then. That's the continuity between them. What I'm doing with my body now continues, but just in a different place that's, that's a eternal and I get a body suited for that new reality, but the one is being transformed into the other. It's not like, you're not really spiritual, draw a line, get to heaven, all of a sudden you're spiritual. We've talked about this many times. That's not how it works. And you're going to see that. So the eternal, is, in other words, my body now is being prepared for that body. If you get there and you're not prepared for that body, you'll be naked. You'll end up without a body, which means you, there was no real spiritual life there at all. I'm not trying to give up a body so I can be spiritual. I'm already spiritually changing, looking forward to a new one that can survive eternity. And that's why he says, we'll swallow up, be swallowed up by immortal life transformed into something else. Now, we talked about this text and at the beginning of this series. I'm going to read it to you again because it comes right before this passage. And here's what it says. In light of what I've said, just think about it. We don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The outer's a tent, but the inner is being renewed day by day. And even though we have momentary light affliction in this body, listen to this. We are being prepared, prepared for an eternal weight of glory. If you're not being prepared now, 
You won't be prepared there. So Paul is combating the notion that somehow I'm going to be rid of the body and then I'll be able to be spiritual. They're never disconnected for Paul. You say, okay, well, what what does Paul say to prove that? Look what he says next. This is amazing what he says. This This is what Paul says. He, God, who has prepared us for this very transformation is God. And how do we know he's going to do it? He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ah, this is amazing. Paul is saying, when you become a Christian in this physical body, this temporal body, he puts the Spirit inside of you. It guarantees, this is a great statement, it guarantees that what he has promised for you in heaven will actually happen. But it doesn't wait till heaven to happen. He takes the invisible and he sticks it into the physical and visible and begins to transform it now so that it will be continue on in transformation when it gets to heaven. It doesn't start transforming in heaven. It started transforming here. And that transformation by the Spirit is my guarantee that I won't be naked when I get here, bodiless. That's what Paul is saying. He's connecting the two. Even though one's a temporal reality and one's an eternal reality, they're not unrelated. The presence of the Spirit is the inbreaking of heaven into my earthly bodily existence so that I can already start living like I'm in heaven now. Do you see that? So I'm not waiting till eternity to have eternal life. It's eternal life is already happening in me. It's a very, very, the scriptures present a very, very thin line between this reality and the next one. For a believer to die is almost just a very simple transition into the new reality. One that's already been at work in me. It's not a shocking reality. It's what's already been happening in me. Even though this body's temporal and it's just a tent, it contains the spirit, which is transforming me. Okay, that's the first thing. Paul does not imagine you bodiless so that you can be spiritual. He imagines that your body is being transformed spiritually. Now, second thing. Obvious out of that one. My body is not a hindrance to spirituality, but the means by which I carry it out. I need my body. That's why you're going to get one in heaven too. How are you going to be what God wants you to be if you don't have a body to do it? So the question is, what does that look like? Now, we'll land this thing a little, this spaceship we've been in, and we'll start to get our feet on the ground. Stay with me, because the, the main point of this is coming now. Look what Paul says. It is profound. Oh, by the way, 
before I go on, I do need to show you this verse. Paul says you're getting the Spirit as a guarantee. What's the Spirit doing? Well, he already said in chapter 3, two chapters earlier, in verse 18, here's what the Spirit's doing. Transforming us into the same image from, glory, from one glory to another, from one degree of glory to another. How does this happen? The Spirit. What's the Spirit's job? To start changing you now. So when Paul says in chapter 5 that you have a, the Spirit in your body, it's the guarantee that you'll get a new body. How do you know you're going to get a new body? The Spirit's already at work transforming you. Not waiting to heaven to change you. It's already happening. Now, let's look what he says here. So, we are always of good courage, even though their body's taken a beating here, his point. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We do know that one of the downsides to being in this body, one of the downsides, is that we're not in the presence of God physically, when I mean personally, in a way that we're going to be when we get there. Paul acknowledges there's a, there's a distinction between the two realities, even though they're very related. So he gets that. He, he knows we got to be in this body and it's away from the Lord. But look what he says. But we walk by faith, not by sight. This is a really important statement Paul makes. Paul is saying, it doesn't make me less spiritual. It's just i got to operate differently. It doesn't mean God's not with me. It doesn't mean the Spirit's not in me. It doesn't mean I'm not being changed. It doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. I just operate here in a tent by faith. Eventually, I'll operate on a new system. There'll be a different oper mode of operation. I'll be able to see it all. Now it's invisible to me. I have to see it by faith. That's the invisible becoming visible. I need faith to help me do that. So we're of good courage. And we'd rather be from, you know, away from the body and at home with the Lord. We'd rather be with him in a different body. But it doesn't mean we can't be spiritual. So here's his conclusion. So whether, we at, uh, whether we're at home or away, look, you can still please him. It's still my aim to please him. I'm not, gonna, I'm not aiming for heaven so I can please him. I can please him right now, whether I'm, whether I'm in this tent or whether I'm in the new building. My aim is to please him. This is... Uh, So you got two different modes of operation, but they're both spiritual. Just one's in a temporal reality and one's in an eternal reality. Okay, let's ask this question and really get down to the nitty-gritty. How do you sense that the Spirit's at work in you now? And how do you feel now the guarantee that when you get to heaven, you won't be found naked? Is that possible? 
Well, the Spirit does three things that you ought to feel. And I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about you ought to feel this if he's in there. The first one is it's been said all the way through here. You groan for that new body. Now, there's a lot of people, and our world does this. They have made the body here on earth everything. Give it anything it wants. Worship it. Idolize it. If it wants something, give it to it. That's not where Paul's head's at. Paul, because he knows it's temporary. And because he knows without God it's unholy, he's in this body and he is longing for that new one. If you long for that new body, what you're longing for is to be absolutely everything God has always wanted you to be that you know you're not. If you're not groaning for that, the Spirit's not in there. As soon as the Spirit gets in there, the invisible has put itself into the physical, and I ought to feel this longing for that. Instead of anything I can get my hands on here, make me feel good, look good. I have a groaning in my heart for that. That's the first one. It creates a longing. Here's the second one it does. That's verse 7 and 8, by the way. I want to go back to 7 and 8 so you see it. We walk by faith. We'd rather, we'd rather be away from the body. Because we just know we'll be ultimately transformed. Not because I'm trying to get rid of a body. I don't ever want to be bodiless, Paul says. Where'd you rather be? Where would you rather be? Our world is hell-bent to make life as good as it possibly can for as long as it can possibly be, and we don't even think about death until it hits us, and it's shocking every time it happens, as if somehow we believed we're going to survive forever. Things are getting better. Just hang on, baby. Is that how you live? That's the first thing that the Spirit's doing, keeping your eyes there. Hey, that'll change you when you get sick. And the doctor tells you, you, I don't know when, but pretty soon. You better have an answer for that. Because it's coming. Verse 9. second thing it does, the Spirit creates a desire to please Him. I want to do what He wants me to do now. 
not waiting to get to heaven to be this nice guy. Not waiting to get to heaven to be generous. Not waiting to get to heaven to be pure. Not waiting to get to heaven. I want to please him now. And the Spirit produces that in you, a desire. Not just changes your desires and your longings for eternity. It changes the actions of your life. You want to please him, so you're going to use this body to do it now. Here's what I wrote down as I was thinking about it. What the Spirit guarantees is that I will get another body to continue obeying God and living for Him for all eternity. Not that I'll get a body and I can start living for Him. The Spirit guarantees that I'll start living for Him now and I get to get a new body to keep doing what He wants me to do. Isn't that a great image? You don't just get a new body because we just don't like your old one, even though we may not. You may not. You're excited to get a new body because it doesn't matter if you're in this body or in this body, you get to keep pleasing him. And the last one. For we must all appear. Here's his last verse. Grab this. This is the end of it all. This is what we're all waiting for. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When you get to the end, there will be a judgment time. Well, what's he judging? If the body didn't matter on earth, what's he judging? Each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the what? Which body? The earthly physical body. Whether good or evil. I'm not waiting to heaven to be good. Whatever God's doing in you, he wants to start happening now. And when you get to heaven, he's going to look at your life and see if it happened. And here's why Paul's not afraid of this judgment when we think about judgment as a believer. This is important too because this is the end of your life. This is what's going to happen at the end. Most people think... If you can get around to thinking that death is really the end, you just think death is the end. No, there's a judgment. Hebrews says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the what? The judgment. You scared of that? Here's the third thing the Spirit does, the reason why you're not going to be afraid of that. It prepares you for that judgment. The Spirit prepares you for this judgment. Paul knows at the end of this life, why is he groaning and excited about judgment? This is this big bema seat. That's that's the Greek word, bema. It was a bema seat. It was a tribunal sort of thing. And the reason it's called a bema is because it's a step. You've got to get up on it. And so somebody's up there hovering over me, looking at my life. This is the way they did it in the Roman days. This is why Paul uses the image. One of these days, it'll be Christ sitting on that thing, and I'll be standing before him. Why isn't Paul, a, Paul a, as Steve Amato would say, a scared of that? Why isn't he a scared of that? Because the Spirit has prepared him for that judgment. Ever go into a test and you go, I got this. Ever stand before somebody, I, 
I have nothing to hide. That's the feeling. I can't wait to get there. Get my new body. Won't be naked before God. Won't be exposed. Be nothing to expose. Here's the reason why. I'm accountable to God, but I'm not fearful of that judgment. Because the Spirit has already been changing me inside and out all along. The life change has already been happening in his body and in his physical life. Isn't that amazing? The reason I'm not afraid is because when I know I get there, I'll be able to say, look what the Spirit has been doing in me. And I'm grateful now to to get to do it for all eternity. Now, we're about to come to the Lord's table because we need to figure out what to do with that. I want you to hear something real quick. This 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 is the end. Hard stuff is over. Well, maybe not. Come to the table, the Lord's Supper. What are we doing here? What are we doing at the table? We meet him by faith because we live by faith here, not by sight. We meet him in a personal and intimate way. And it is through physical and tangible elements, bread and wine, that we take into our physical bodies. It's very interesting in light of this text. Salvation, spiritual life given to us in Christ will be real in our bodies why we eat it and take it into our bodies. Listen, Jesus' acts of redemption were all physical acts. Salvation could not have happened to you if Jesus didn't have a body. He had to take a body and come here. He had to take a body and give it up on a cross. Then he had to take that body out of a grave. And then he got a new one. Isn't that amazing? Same thing's going to happen to you. You can't have a spiritual life without a body. You can't have any kind of a redemptive life without a body. The gift of himself was inseparable from the presence of his body on earth. Which means, Hillside, when we come to the table, we celebrate that he gave his body for us. So what do we do? We come to the table and we surrender our bodies. Our whole selves at the table because it's inseparable. I can't not give. Can you come to the table of a Savior who gave his body for you and you say, I'm not giving my body. Give you anything else you want. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? We offer ourselves to our Savior as he did for us and we hold a common self-denial. When you come to the table, you sit across from someone who gave his body for you, and you're saying, give mine for you too. This thing's yours. You denied yourself, I'll deny mine. Real quickly. Do you remember when Jesus, John chapter 13 read this this week. It's an interesting time for the Lord's table when Jesus is sitting there and has to reveal that Judas is going to betray him to the other guys. There was an imposter at the table. 
someone who looked like he had a spiritual life, carried around the guitar, but didn't have one. And he got to the table, and pretty soon it became the elephant in the room. Who is this guy? Who's the one? They couldn't even distinguish. It was sitting around the table like this and looking at all of us who were all at the table. We can't even distinguish which one of us is an imposter. But I can tell you that every time the Lord's table given, there's an imposter at the table. Never is everyone in the room saved. And it's very possible that you think you are. You say, what does Jesus do about that? I'll tell you what Jesus does with that elephant in the room. Same thing he's going to do right now for you. He's still going to actually reach out and hand you bread. That is his last loving act to an imposter to say, please give me your heart. Don't wait another day to give me that. And then when Judas takes it but doesn't really mean it, and Jesus knows it, he dismisses him. You don't want to be here at this table with me? Leave. I'll extend my love to you till my dying breath. But if you don't want to be here, if you don't want to be with him now, if you don't groan for him now, you're not going to want him when you get here and, and his presence is everywhere. The elephant in the room is always make sure you come to that table and have received his love. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray for you and then our team here is gonna sing. You can come, go ahead and grab this TV while I promise. This is what I'm gonna, just bow your heads for a second and then we're gonna take communion. I'll take this. Uh, just bow your heads, pray this with me. Pray this with me. Change me. Spirit, change me from the inside out. Take over my body. Change my longings. Change my actions. Change my lifestyle. As I come to the table and recognize what your body has done for me, I offer my body in return. that love. I want it now, not waiting till I die. Hillside, I'm pumped. I can't help it. That truth, that wonder, he gave his body for me. I want to do the same. That's my prayer for all of us. If you prayed that prayer, if you say, I'm an imposter at the table and I want to clear that up today, go to one of these corners. There's somebody there pray and talk to you about what it means to give your, surrender your heart to Christ. Otherwise, for the rest of us, it's just time to let the Spirit start doing what He's supposed to be doing. We start putting our eyes out where they're supposed to be. That's the challenge. I'm grateful that you were here today. And I'll be praying for you this week as you live that out. You're dismissed. Have a great week.